Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. We just bless and exalt your name once again. We've come, Jesus, to receive instructions from you. We've come, my everlasting Father, that you impact us with your life through your word. Grant us understanding, grant us wisdom, and revelation, spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to go to part three of our subject or redeem long ago. I'm trying to establish the fact that your salvation did not, if I may use the word, began when you got to know the Lord. It was already paid for. When we talk about redemption, we are talking about paying a price for what is in slavery. And I try to make you see that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That is to say, the price for your redemption was paid long ago, even before man fell. In that which is called the fall of Adam. Hallelujah. And so, we read again in Revelation 13 verse number 8. Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb book of life, slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, from the time the world got into corruption, the lamb have already been slain for mankind. So, the price for your redemption from the realm of slavery and corruption was paid even before you experienced it. Hallelujah. And so you can stand in the liberty of that which has been paid, the price has already been paid, you can stand in that liberty to declare and claim your rights and privileges as a son of God. That's the primary thing. But let's look at First Peter 1 verse number 18. First Peter 1 verse number 18, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but manifested in these last times for you. I want you to get that. When was he ordained? Ordained before. Foreordained before the foundation of the world. Did you get that? Yeah. The Lamb was ordained before the foundation. In other words, God planned it and executed it even before corruption came into the scene. And now the Bible is saying you are redeemed from whatever corruption that you were in, that you got involved in through your forefathers, if you will, by this precious blood of the Lamb. You see, so vitally, you see, the value of the lamb, 
like I always said, the value of the blood or the price for anything that you are buying, equivalent or is equal to the value. If you have to buy this pulpit, whatever amount you're going to pay for this is equivalent to the value of the pulpit. Is that okay? Right. So now, the blood that purchased you is directly connected to the value of the life that the blood has. And so, because you are purchased with this precious blood, your value is equivalent to the blood. Because now, the blood becomes your life. Hallelujah. Are you following that? I've explained to you before that one of the reasons why God had to come in a human form was because man needs to be redeemed but with a precious blood different from the blood that was in his life. The blood of man was a corrupted blood already. So you need a higher blood to be able to redeem man. And that is why I keep saying animal sacrifices, whatever the case may be, cannot avail for the redemption of man, even though the law is already stated there. Without blood, there is no remission of sins. So you can't offer animal sacrifices to get yourself redeemed or saved or protected from anything because the animal blood is not equivalent of your blood. As long as the animal blood is not equivalent of your blood, you cannot do the work you are asking it to do. That's why the Old Testament could not work. Why? Because the animals that were being sacrificed in the Old Testament, they were not the equivalent of that of the blood of a man. Are you getting the picture? Right. So the blood of a man has to be shed. Now where is a man going to come from? God has to become man all by himself to share that blood. You see, one of the things God did there is to fulfill the law in the Old Testament which talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You understand that? Yeah. There are some laws that only God can fulfill. And this is one of those laws. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Why? Because you see, like I said, even the Old Testament cannot do what God intended. Because the animals that have been brought regularly for sacrifice could not avail for man because the blood there is not the blood of equivalent of what is to be brought back. So God became a man in Jesus and then to share his blood. That's why Paul writing to the Ephesians church in the book of Acts told them that you have to mine the church which God bought with what? His own blood. God bought the church with his own blood. So when was that? You see, only in Christ he poured his life into Jesus and then he was able to share the blood. For your redemption. So the equivalent of the blood by which you bought back. Is the blood of God. Praise the living God. And we are saying that this was already done. Before the corruption. Before the time. So you just walk into what has already been done. That's the main thing I'm trying to say. Amen somebody. Alright. Very low for then. That is for noon. You know I pointed. The divine purposes of God was already in place. Before he sent him into the world. Is that okay? Right. Okay. Um, if you look at it as well, God already foresaw the ruin or the fall of man, like I said the other time. Is that okay? 
He has already seen that man is going to fall. He has already seen that deception, corruption is going to come into a man's life. And so he made a provision before that happens. You understand that? Right. You see, it's like there are some vehicles that are being pulled out of the market. People dis- manufacture vehicles and sooner or later they say they are moving out from the market because they have some faults. They were not able to detect that fault before they put it out. But when they start using the vehicle, they discover the fault and they pull it back. You understand that? Now that is man. But God for already foresaw that this product is going to have a fault tomorrow. So he made a provision for it. So it's not a matter of withdrawing it from the market. It's a matter of allowing it to go and then the provision is made. I don't know if you get the point. Yeah, it's different from when a vehicle is produced and then sent it to the market and then the buyers begin to discover fault and then with patent right, they take it back. Maybe they can take it out of production, out of circulation. Right. But in God's case, it's not taking that man out of circulation. It's making provision for the restoration of that man. Is that okay? Praise the living God. So, the blood was shed because God foresaw that man was going to fall. So, in that case, you find that even what you claim that the devil did amounts to nothing because God already knew. And as a matter of fact, like I said before, it was God that introduced the whole system for man to fall. You want me why? Because you see, look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, let's look at verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God has what made. So who made the serpent? Come on, talk with me. Who made the serpent? God. What was the purpose of making the serpent? That he might test his creature and the garden. The devil didn't make himself. And people will tell you sometimes, oh, the devil was struggling with God. That's not what the Bible says. God made him a serpent. He didn't make him an angel. It's all a funny story when they said the devil was an angel in heaven, was playing music and blah, blah, blah. All those kind of rubbish. Those are religion. Nothing to do with the scripture. Isaiah 14, those of us in this house we know, it's not talking about the devil. So there's nowhere the devil was ever once at any point in time an angel that was controlling choir in heaven. It's foolish reading. This is what the scripture says. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the fig which the Lord God has made. And he said unto the woman, right? Now, this is the only reason why the devil was created, to tempt man to see whether man will live in obedience to God. And that's why you find the same principle happening in the garden. I mean, in the wilderness when the devil came to tempt Jesus as it were. But remember, the Bible says, as soon as he came out of the baptism, the spirit led him where? Into the wilderness to get the same experience. You see that? And who was there to tempt him? The devil. So, you have the first Adam, you have the second Adam. But the first Adam could not go through the process or the trials, but the second Adam went through. 
And if you read the account, you find that as soon as Jesus went through the baptism, as, I mean, the, the, the temptation, angels came and ministered to him. Why? What I meant to display there was, we, we find a man that could not stand, but now we find another man that could stand to have dominion. So the dominion mandate was restored because Jesus was able to go through the trials that he went through. Hallelujah. They're together. So that's the major reason God created the devil. So God did that. Remember, you can't find the devil in Genesis 1. You can't find the devil in Genesis 2. You only find the devil where? Genesis 3. They're together. And I explained to you that in Genesis 1 was a spiritual man. The Genesis 2 was a man of the doors of the ground. The spiritual man was lowered to a state where he can be tempted. If Genesis 2, 7 was not into place, there is no way Genesis 3 could walk. Because the Genesis 3 can only walk on the man that is already fallen. If the moment God brought man to the dust of the ground, the propensity to sin was introduced. The Genesis man, Genesis 1, was completely a spiritual man. Genesis 2, the propensity, the ability to sin was introduced to man or into man. Genesis 2, 7 now. Right, you understand that? And now, to test that man, there's the next thing that happened. Genesis 3. The animal was created to tempt man. And so Adam failed for the temptation, basically through the wife. So when Peter talks about the last times, that is talking about, if you use the word, the last dispensation called the last time. And, and that right now, right from when Jesus appeared into the scene, and especially when the Holy Spirit came down, that's the last time. But people use the word last time. I explained that to you. They have always been last time, not just only when time of Pentecost. They have always been last time, right from the days of even, where's that guy there? Jacob. Genesis 49. Is that okay? Right. So, when Peter used the word last time, he's talking about no more dispensation. For, you see, right from the old time down to the law, there were dispensation and times and period that certain things were going on. All towards the work of the process of redemption, right from the time of even the garden, um, when God had to clothe even uh, Adam and Eve, with his skin of animals, all of those things are period and times and season. Down to the period of the Old Testament, from Abraham, down to the period of the Old Testament, all what God was doing was to work out the issue of redemption. Anytime he makes a provision like he did for Adam and Eve, it was all redemption. Is that okay? Right. So, he got down to this level, talking about the last time. In other words, there's going to be no more dispensation. There's a last dispensation, and that is the Holy Spirit. And I tried to explain that to you the other time. That when the Bible says, if you sin against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven. It's simply because there is no other provision by which you can be saved. Is that okay? Sin against the Son of Man. Sin against the Father. Remember? I showed you that to you. Sin against the Father, forgiven. Sin against the Son. But sin against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven. So there's a period at which the Father was like, okay, this is Yahweh, this Father, Israel, always referred to him as Father. Then the Son comes in, 
for redemption. And the people say, well, he's Jesus of Nazareth. We don't believe in him. He's not God. And God said, okay, fine. I'm still going to do something to get you back to myself. Then he sent the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? And so if you say, well, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, that means there is no other provision. That is why it becomes an unpardonable sin. There is no provision again. There is the last dispensation. That's what Peter is saying. And he calls it what? The last times. Praise the living God. Okay. Go to Second Peter 1 and look at verse number 8. Again. Let's look at number 8 and number 9 and 10. Second Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. 2 Timothy 1 8. Are we there? Alright. 2 Timothy 1 8. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus Christ, before when? The world began. Hallelujah. Before the world began. That's the main thing I want you to see there. All of those things according to his purpose and grace, which God has given to us, before the world began. I'm saying your redemption took place long, long time ago. Hallelujah. And look at verse 10. It's about it's now made what? Manifest. But the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ was abolished dead and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, the key point I want you to see in verse 10 is now made what? Manifest by what they are appearing. That sacrifice, that redemption that already have taken place long before now was made manifest 2,000 years ago. Did you get that? Long before the world was. Long before that which is called the Old Testament came into being. The sacrifice had been made. But only appeared in that which is called 2,000 years ago, to abolish that which is called death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Praise the living God. So, but I want you to see this. Go back again to verse number 9. Verse 9 is critical. Thank you, Father. Who has saved us and called us with an only calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Does that make sense for you? Right. So before the foundation of the world, all of these graces, all of this provision, thank you Lord, all of those things you call the grace of God, the gift of the Spirit, science, wonders, miracles, all of those things that are flowing and manifesting through the church today was already given. Hallelujah. Did you get that? <laughs> they were already ours. That is why the Bible talks about 
we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings where? In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Those provisions have already been made available. And so, all of those things we look at the grace of the scriptures are the things that every Christian is supposed to experience. The grace, the gift, everything is what every Christian is supposed to experience. If you are saved, you are supposed to experience those things. Why? Because they were all provided for at the time of that which God is called the sacrifice. When the foundation was laid, the, the, I mean, the lamb was slain for all of those things. So, so the Bible is telling us here, he saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Amen? The verse 10, I say, but is now made what manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Well, the police death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Amen. So who has called us? Who called us? The Father did. Galatians 1.6 Who had called us? When they say, who has called us? Who did call us? Galatians 1.6 We are told, is God that called us. Marvel that ye are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto what? Another gospel. Who called us? Christ. Into the grace of Christ. I mean God called us into the grace of Christ. And don't forget, this grace has been made available, right? Right from when Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. The grace were already available. It's like saying, by the time redemption takes place, this is what those people who believe and are coming to that level will receive. What are they going to receive? The grace that is in Christ. And so here, Galatians 1.6 telling us that we've been calling to that grace. Hallelujah. The grace of who? The grace of Christ. So everything that is in Christ becomes that which is grace that you and I can receive and walk with. Praise the living God. And they say, having saved us, saved us in what? Into his eternal purpose. Eternal purpose of that grace by which Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Given to us in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, before the world began. You know? Praise the living God. So, we find that a calling comes into what I call due time with a call made effective by us by the Holy Spirit. As we receive the Holy Spirit, that call is now made effective. Hallelujah. But that is not one you were called. You've been called right from before the foundation of the world. So, I will say when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's a realization of that which God have already done long time ago. You understand that? Good. Then the Holy Spirit enables you to begin to receive those graces that are already in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. So, expressly, the key point I will need to make you see is this. There is no grace you can't manifest. Because all of the graces have been made available through Christ. And so you are called in to come and experience those graces. That's what your call is all about. You understand it now? Right. That's what your call is all about. And the Bible talks about holy calling as well. That is what you are called to the life of holiness. Like we can find in Hebrew 3 verse number 1. Called heavenly calling. Praise the Lord. Are we there? Now, when you look at the word holy in that passage we read before, 
it implies the separation of the believer from the rest of the world under God. That's just what it stands for. Holiness is not necessary. In this context, what you practice in. Holiness is just that. You separate one thing from the wall. It's, it's, it's like the vessels for instance, the temple. They were all holy temple, holy vessels. Remember that? Why? Why are they holy? Because they were separated for the use of God. I mean, the worship of God. So they become holy. Even in the book of um, Zechariah, you also have that horses that were used for trade. I'm going to be sharing that a little bit when we come to the prayers for business people. That they have on their neck holiness unto God. Why was that going to be holy? Horses and donkeys, whatever, that were used for business. In other words, the business of these people were committed or given over unto, unto God. So they became holy unto God. You understand that? Good. So you see garment, everything. So when you talk about something that is holy, it is simply that which is separated unto who? Unto God. So when you say we are called unto holiness, simply means he calls us from the world and separates us from the world. We become God's own instrument. Is it making sense? Praise the living God. Different from the believers. So again he said, not according to our works. That's our calling is simply by grace. We, we didn't do anything to be called. Not because we merited being called. That's why he called us. You understand that? It's the same thing with Abraham. It's not because Abraham did anything very specific. That's why God called him. I want to bring other nations out of him. No. It's just a choice of God. That's why it is grace. Praise the living God. And uh, essentially, it's for the purpose of redemption. He called us. That we might experience redemption and receive all the graces that are in Christ Jesus. I want to repeat this to you. You, you are qualified for any of the graces in the Spirit. Why? Because you've been called unto holiness, unto the redemption, and to receive the graces that are who? In Christ Jesus. Anything that is supposed to come out of Christ Jesus, you can receive it by reason of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's what you are called into. So when you are called out of the world, you are called into Christ, you are called into the grace of Christ, that you may receive everything that is there, which now encompasses the whole lot of what is called your salvation. Your salvation encompasses all of those graces, everything you save to manifest, to experience, to partake of the grace that is you in Christ Jesus. So it's not just about being forgiven, that is okay for that, but we're talking about the graces in Christ, we talked about the gift of the Spirit, all of those things, you are supposed to manifest them, because they are the graces that are in Christ to which you have been called. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, we have the grace given unto us, based on its everlasting purpose, and regard the same, which has accomplished we are in due time. And we're talking about Christ with the believers now. As we receive him, you know, we come into Christ, we come into salvation, come into all of those covenant of God in who? In Christ. So everything that a covenant carry, God intended you to experience it as a believer. Praise the living God. All right. Okay. Um, let's look at something very interesting. Okay. We still have some time. Hebrews chapter 1 verse number 1 and 2. I just want to look at something. 
I want you to see where God is bringing you into by reason of this call. God's intention, God's ultimate purpose, God's mind from the foundation of the world for you and I. Now Hebrews 1, God who a hundred times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Was the next thing? Verse 2. Had in this last day spoken unto us by his son, whom he had appointed all four things, by whom also he made the world, the universes, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of what? Of his person. We can stop that. That's what I'm looking for. Christ was the brightness of God's glory. In other words, God can be seen, like the amplifier will say, is the X-ray, the display of the invisible God. Is that okay? That's Jesus Christ as a visible being. And this is what God is intending his church to become. The goal of God redeeming you is to bring you to this same position that you become the express image and the glory of God. By implication, the outreign of the divine. What I mean is, you can't see divinity, but divinity is expressed through humanity. What I mean is, the invisible God can be made manifest through your human being. When you see Jesus as hell, people say, this will be God because of the things that were passing through him. The thing was expressing. Is that okay? No man has seen God anytime, John says, except the Son of God who is in the bosom of the Father. John chapter 1. Remember that? Good. The bosom means it's right and the express is 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 closest is he have the best of intimacy with God. And so because of that position that he occupied, he could reveal the invisible God. And God's intention is that man reveals him on the face of the earth. That is ultimately the purpose of salvation. And you see, when you manifest those gifts, as it were, it comes to the place where through those gifts, people will begin to see that it's actually God. Now, revealing himself through human beings. Is that okay? Good. Let's look at Revelation 21. I'll show you now. Revelation 21 verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a what? A bride, a daughter for what? Her husband. This is what I want you to capture. The coming out of heaven is not talking about coming from a location. But this is an expression that indicates the manifestation of the true church. Is that okay? The revealing of the true church, or the revelation of the true church, which is the bride of who? Of Christ. So Christ being the husband, and the church being what? Well, the wife. Is that okay? Right. Hmm. 
Let me tell you something here. When a woman gets married, she changes her name. You notice that? Is that true? It's almost all customs. Is that okay? When a, a woman gets married, she changes her name from her biological father's name to the husband's name. Now, <laughs> what is this supposed to mean when you get married to Jesus? You're changing your name, your identity. Hallelujah. Now remember, the name that the woman carry is the glory of the man. That is why the man is the head of the woman. So, every woman carries the glory of the man. Therefore, if the church is a wife of Jesus, what is that supposed to mean? We have changed our name in the first place. And whose glory are we supposed to carry now? The glory of Christ. And if Christ is the express image of God, what have you become? The express image of God. Because the two shall be one. Hmm. Are you following what I'm saying here? This is so simple. You know, so it's not coming for... You see, First Corinthians 6, 17 says, He that is joined to the Lord... Is one spirit. We are not two people. We are in Christ, and Christ is the husband, and we are the wife, and we are one. For two shall be one. That's what the Bible says. Are you getting that? This is this is what he was slain for. That he will at the end of the day get a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. Hmm. Look at verse 9. Go to verse 9. Hallelujah. Ooh. And there came unto me one of the seven angels. Verse number 9. Go to verse 9. Revelation 21 verse number 9. Hallelujah. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had seven vows full of seven last plagues. And talked with me saying, Come hither and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain. And showed me that great city, Jerusalem now. The heavenly Jerusalem descending. By the way, why do you call it heavenly Jerusalem? Like I said before. Because there is a physical Jerusalem. Are you still there with me? Okay. Go with me to Hebrew 12. Look at verse 22. We'll come back here. But go to Hebrew 12 verse 22. Okay, go to verse um, 20. Let me show you something. For they could not enjoy that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or trust true with that. He's describing what happened on the mountain. That is Mount Good, my Sinai. Look at the next thing. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and I quake. Is that okay? Right. Go to the next thing. So what is it? But ye are come. Come to where? Unto Mount Zion. So there are two mountains. Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. Although the city of the living God. The what? The heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of what? Of angels. You can continue to read but we stop there. Where have you come to? So Mount Zion, the same thing as the heavenly Jerusalem. Same as the bride. Same thing as the wife of who? 
of Jesus Christ. It's the same people. The Holy Jerusalem is a people, just like Mount Sinai represents a people, which is the old covenant people. Mount Zion represents a people, which is the New Testament people. That's all. So the New Testament is the heavenly Jerusalem, because there is a physical Jerusalem where in the Middle East. So when you talk about heavenly Jerusalem and the physical Jerusalem, you are actually describing the Old Testament and what the New Testament. That's all. So it's not as if one Jerusalem is going to flow from the sky one day and land over in Jerusalem and then going to... People are very funny when they teach Revelation 21-22. And they say, oh, the heavenly Jerusalem is four square. You know, land from, float from the sky, land up somewhere there in Jerusalem, maybe Mount Olive or whatever the case may be for where he left. Gosh, childish. Hallelujah. But when you read Revelation 21, 22, what's the next thing you see? Go back to Revelation 21 now. We'll look at verse 9 again. What do you see in all of those places? You're going to see that the Bible said it has wall, four square. Remember that? What do you need wall for? What's the purpose of a wall? In the natural, what's the purpose of a wall? You make wall to protect against thieves, against reptiles, against intruders. That's why you have walls. So if, if, if the Jerusalem is going to have wall upstairs, that means there are thieves up in heaven. That means there are crocodiles and reptiles and snakes. So you build wall to protect yourself from that. Is that what you're thinking about to be heaven? That's childish. Hallelujah. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying here. So the heavenly Jerusalem is not up anywhere in the sky. It is you and I who are the believers. The very man Zion, the church of the living God. That's who we are. So the ultimate purpose of God being slain before the foundation of the world is to have a bride to himself. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen? Alright. So verse number 9 again. And there came unto me... One of the seven angels, which are seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain, and showed me that great city, the heavenly Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Amen? Look at verse 11. This is what I love. Having what? The glory of God. And a light was like unto a most precious stone, even like a jasper and clear as one. Christa. I showed you that in Exodus 24. But the Bible says, saw the God of heaven with his feet as clear as crystal. And why is that supposed to mean speaking about a church? God is perfecting his church. In fact, has perfected his church. You, you won't believe that. It's done. It's a done deal. The church of God is a holy church. It doesn't matter what you look at. doesn't matter what you are estimating. doesn't matter the standard by which you are judging the people. No. The church of Jesus Christ is a holy, clean, perfect church. Hallelujah. That's why I say it's watching it by the world. The water of the world. Hallelujah. So verse 4 here said, and he had a great wall, and high, and had twelve gates, and had the twelve gates, angels, and names written therein, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. You see that? What's the meaning of that? The twelve tribes of the children of Israel symbolizes specific entrances. I think I've shared that with us here. Right. By which you enter into what? Into the city. That's what he's talking about. Gate speaks of entrance. Gate speaks of means by which you enter into the city of God. 
So the 12 gate represents the 12 tribe of children of Israel. It's not. So you go by the principle of what the 12 tribe represented. Through that, you enter into the city of the living God. Hallelujah. That's why you find that the 12 apostles also, the Bible refers to the 12 foundations of this particular city. Why? Because there were the 12 apostles, the beginning of that which is called the church. That's why there were 12 foundations of the city. I like verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God, hallelujah, did lighten it. And the Lamb, what? Is the light thereof. Hallelujah. This city had no need of natural things, that was trying to say. Meaning, as a bride, as a wife, <laughs> you are not supposed to be ruling your life by natural principles. <laughs> In Genesis 1, the Bible said, the sun was meant to rule the day and the moon the night. Remember that? Good. Oh, here yeah, I'm seeing something. It simply means your life is not based on darkness and light or night and day. You live in all in eternity, which is light. Glory to God. I don't know if you're picking this. Yes. Your life is just in eternity right now. Full day. No darkness, no morning, no evening. You are in a complete season of a new day. Praise God. Did you see it? Woo. And the Bible says, And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Oh, glory to God. That is to say, men, you see, the church was supposed to be in such a position that men naturally will come minister to the church. You understand that? What is the glory of the men of the world? Is their wealth. That is what it is. That is what God spoke to uh, King Cyrus when he said, The forces of darkness shall I give unto you. Why? Because King Cyrus was to build the walls of Jerusalem and build a temple. So the money needed to do that was the forces of the Gentiles. So why were they going to be sending to for King Cyrus to build the city? So what is the Bible telling us in the true sense? Man, we need money and it has to come from the wall. Glory to God. All their glory they will turn over to the wall. It's the time to read the Bible saying and the gate of the city cannot be shut. Why? It's constantly open. That sinners, whatever, they come in and they are not just coming in, they are coming in with resources to be able to build the city. Praise God somebody. Therefore I speak to you, your gate shall not be shut. Your door shall not be shut. Hallelujah. And the resources you need will come into your hand. In the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are the bride. Why? Because we are the glory. We have the glory of God. Which is Christ himself. Is the express image and glory of God. We are the bride. We've changed our name. We've changed our identity. We don't have to struggle to get. We just live by the grace. That is in Christ Jesus. Our husband owns all things. So all things belong to us. Glory to God. You don't expect the wife to be struggling for anything. When he's married to a rich man. Think about that. Is that okay? No, you can see it. 
Oh, no, no, no. You see a man, a woman married to a king or a prince, or married to a governor or a president of a country, what do you expect this woman to be struggling for? Nothing. Hallelujah. And so if we are married to Christ, who is the king of kings and the lord of lords, what are we saying? That's why we say partake of the graces that is in Christ Jesus. The availability of the blessings that are in Christ. They are already ours. And God did it for the foundation of the world. Well, friend, we are not meant to live in poverty. We are not meant to live below the standard of being Christ. We are supposed to have it. And I'm saying it will come. Hallelujah. Did you get that? Wait, wait. I see. Our mind have to be changed. Mm. I got a story sometime. Somebody was flying. Bought a plane. And then they were serving food. You know, they serve you food sometimes. Two meals before you arrive, whatever the case may be. And I serve this individual. I said, no, I'm okay. And I serve again. I'm okay. Somebody, when they come down, they said, why are you not taking the meal? He said, I don't have money to pay. He said, no. The ticket you bought included the meal. You, you see that? He flew with hunger because he didn't know that the ticket he bought included the meal. The meals were included in the ticket. And that's exactly what we're doing today. We who are Christ born, wife to Jesus Christ, we don't even know the things that are available to us as the excess of the preaching of the gospel. You follow what I'm saying? Get married to a rich man. You have no need of anything. You can't think of shelter. You can't think of vehicle. You can't think of food. You can't. No, no, no. They are just readily available. Think of governors. Think of how much is, is, is voted for their constituencies in terms of visitors coming in and all that. Special amount of money put aside just for entertainment of I mean, uh, visitors. They have quarters provided just because the person is a governor. So we're talking about the he that owns the whole world. And you are married to that individual. What are you supposed to be? How are you supposed to live on? Hallelujah. And until our mind comes to this place, until we begin to realize who we are, and begin to say, no, this is mine, right? As a wife to the owner of that which is heaven and earth, he owns all things. Oh, we will continue to live below. What is expected of us? And because we are in that state, that's why I believe also that a wall is not coming in. That's why the wall is not coming in. You see what? That's why they can't bring in their resources to you. That's why they can't, because they are not seeing the glory in your life. Hallelujah. They are not seeing the glory in your life. That's why they can't bring their resources there. Praise God. But I declare to you from this day that understanding not only coming, but your gate shall be open in the name of Jesus Christ. Resources will have to come to your hand. That which God has for you, we have to come to your hand. No power can stop it. No enemy can stop it. Once again, I declare your gates are open from this day. In the name of Jesus Christ. Men shall call you blessed. Because you better the spirit of Christ in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a day of glory 
is a day of rejoicing. Go and be blessed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this teaching. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.